Well, good morning. Glad you guys are joining us this morning. Um, I told the nine o'clock uh, group that there are people who say they're morning people, and then there are people that show up to church at nine o'clock on daylight savings time. And those people are going to get sit closest to Jesus. Um, <laughs> Just so nobody gets bitter when you get to heaven, okay, you'll just know I showed up the 11, I showed up online, but the fact that you showed up is points anyway, so you get God points for being here today. So we're glad you're here. Just in case you're curious, there's no such thing as God points. We just made them up, okay? Um, hey, a uh, couple things. If you are a student or you know a student, junior high or high school student, um, the youth are having their, uh, they're having a pizza party next Sunday after church um, at Yeasty Beastie, so you can uh, join them. They would love for you to be there and, and be glad for that. Also, as Evan Hoover said, um, Rooted starts actually this Wednesday. When I looked this morning, there were only like three spots left. So if you haven't registered for Rooted and you want to, uh, make sure to jump on there and get registered uh, for Rooted. You'll be glad that you did. Starts this Wednesday. The easiest way to do that is text the word Monmouth to my MC. Text the word Monmouth to 97,000. Text the word Monmouth to 97,000. You get yourself registered for Rooted. And then lastly is Easter um, is uh, in a couple weeks. April 4th is Easter. And so we are doing three services on Easter. We're not doing any services in here though. Uh, for those of you who are here in person, we're glad you're here in person. Uh, for those of you who joined us online, we're glad you joined us online. This Easter, we wanted to prioritize an opportunity for all of us to get together. And I know for a host of different reasons that not everybody's comfortable in being in this room. So what we're doing this year for Easter is we're going to do a drive-in style church service. I'm sure that you... Uh, um, have seen other trips, not drive through, but drive in. We're not just going to like throw communion at you as you drive by. Um, that would be awesome though. Just a buckets of grape juice that we chucked at you. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, we'll drive in. And so we're going to have three services. We're going to have one at six um, because nobody on my staff was confident enough to tell me that I'm an idiot. So we're doing one at six um, and then one at nine and one at 11. And so we would love for you to join us for one of them. The, the, the catch is though, is that we need you to RSVP we need you to RSVP. You can do it at mymcc.cc slash Easter, just per vehicle. Because here's the thing. Normally, if you have a big Sunday, um, we can like pull in extra chairs, right? If the room gets full, we can grab some more chairs and people can sit over here. People sit a little closer. We can't pull in more parking spots. So we only have so many physical parking spots. And so if you're going to be here for Easter, we uh, would ask you to go to mymcc.cc slash Easter and RSVP per vehicle. Okay? And then the last thing, uh, Ari, Noah, it's good to see you guys. I put a note here after Friday's game. You said, I'll see you online at church. And so I put a note to say hi to you online, but now you're here sitting right here. <laughs> glad you guys are here. Anyways, everybody else that's online, we're glad you're here online too. Hey, so um, I, I've got a question. It's going to take some interaction. So, um, uh, and, and online, I want you guys to join with us in interacting. I want you to, if you've got a space for a chat box, I, I want you to write some things and we're going to come back and circle around if my computer connects correctly and, and, and look at what you wrote as well. So here's my question, okay? Think about this. No right answer, okay? Um, what are some things that make you angry? Okay? It could, be, it could be like big, huge, global things that have like real people impact. It, it, it could be like running out of coffee on spring forward weekend. 
uh, or going to the refrigerator and opening the refrigerator and somebody took an empty gallon of milk and put it back in the refrigerator or going to the bathroom and the toilet paper roll being empty. Like what are, what are some things that make you angry? Anybody, anybody bold enough to give me serious or not? Traffic, traffic. Litter, dishes, <laughs> dishes make you angry. That is, that is a rough life. Because um, I don't know about you, but I eat on dishes, and, uh, and I eat often, so I make dishes. Um, traffic, traffic. Somebody was telling me the other day, they're like, man, you just, you can't get across 99 at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm like, oh, we're so spoiled. Um, uh, what else? What's something else that makes you angry? What? Somebody said something? Littering, littering, littering makes you angry. Littering makes you angry. Uh, fear? What you? Your boss. <laughs> well, this is awkward. For those of you who don't know, that's Eileen. Uh, she used to work for me. Um, <laughs> um, oh, someone online said daylight savings. Um, Especially if you have kids. Um, liars. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, things that make you... So, so let me ask you this question, okay? Again, no right answer. I, at least if there is a right answer, I'm not smart enough to know if there's a right answer, okay? So, so here's a question. Based on what you've read in this book and what you've heard people say or, or heard uh, or read about, what do you think are some things that make God angry? Lying? Somebody said lying. What, what else? What do you think makes God angry? Idolatry, sin, pride, disobedience, right? This, this isn't what the sermon's about, but I had this observation as I was thinking through this this week. Um, uh, if, if, if part of following Jesus means that we're trying to become more and more like him, it might be a little indicator of how we're doing in that if the things that make us angry look different than the things that make him angry. It might just be a little, it's not what the sermon's about. But um, uh, someone mentioned pride. And every time we have this conversation, every time I do this with people, um, one of two words comes up, pride or arrogance. In first service, someone said, you know, um, uh, you know people getting in the way of, of people getting to God, people taking advantage of, um, uh, of, of people makes God angry. There are all these things. But one of the things that always comes up every time is pride or arrogance. And if you asked me what's, what's one thing that I think makes God angry, I, I would think I would say pride. And uh, Proverbs says it in Proverbs 8.13. It says it this way. I hate pride and arrogance. That's not very veiled or confusing, right? I hate pride and arrogance. C.S. Lewis, great author, theologian, he, he has this quote. He says, um, it was through pride that the devil became the devil. Now just pause for a second and think about the ramifications. Think about how, how big a deal that is. This is, this is the conduit. This is the medium. This is what makes the devil the devil is pride. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the completely anti-God state of mind. 
Now, now the thing about pride is there are as many expressions of pride in all of us, myself included, just with every single one of us, as there are stars in the sky. Today, we're going to look at a a passage in Matthew 16. If you have a Bible, you can turn ahead to Matthew 16. If not, it's all going to be right here. And and we're going to read through all of the eight verses in just a second. And, And in this passage, what you're going to see is two of those multitude expressions of pride. Now, now one of them is going to be a little bit easier for us to see, and then a, the other one's going to be a little bit more subtle and pervasive in us, and I think all the more common and destructive. So if you have a Bible, if not, you can follow along here. Matthew 16, verse 5, it says this, and the disciples came to the other side of the sea, but they'd forgotten to bring any bread. Now, Matthew, Jesus is going to talk about bread and leaven and yeast and all that kind of stuff in just a second, but, but remember where we've been. Okay, Uh, we're in this arc that Matthew wants us to see the connection between all of them. And the connection is the bread, right? It begins with uh, the the feeding of the 5,000 and and the the disciples jack some kids lunch and they give to Jesus and Jesus takes this lunch and he breaks the bread and he feeds 5,000 people and then there's 12 baskets left over. And, And then Jesus goes up to a place called Tyre and Sidon. He meets with this woman, this Canaanite woman. Uh, about a month ago, we looked at this story, really beautiful story. And, and she tells Jesus basically, I don't need the bread from the table. I, I don't need the feast. I just need the crumbs that fall on the ground. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Come, come sit at the table and feast with me, right? And, and, and the bread. And then he leaves there, passes back by where they did the feed of the 5,000 and goes to another spot, to another group of people. And he takes the leftovers from the feeding of the 5,000 and he feeds 4,000 with seven loaves and a few fish. And then this story comes. And Jesus said to them, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And it goes on, it says this. They began to discuss this among themselves saying, he said that because we did not bring any bread. What? But Jesus, aware of this, said, you men of little faith. Man, this, this, this should just pop. I mean, this should be almost terrifying at this point because you remember the story just, just a little bit ago, just chapter ago. Jesus says to this Canaanite woman, a woman who has no position, no authority, no reason culturally that anybody should care about her. And he says to her, uh, you of great faith, mega faith. And then he's got these disciples who've been following him for years and seen him do incredible things. And you men of little faith, you men of little faith, Maybe, it's not in my notes, but maybe, maybe it should make us a little nervous because it means that we can stand around and we can watch and we can even participate in seeing God do great and incredible things and still have little or no faith. Why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? He goes on, do, not, do you not yet understand? Nor remember the, the five loaves of the 5,000. How many baskets you picked up? nor the seven loaves of the 4,000, and how many large baskets you picked up. How is it that you do not understand? Have you said that to a child you have? How is it that you don't yet understand this? That I did not speak to you about bread? But beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. 
Jesus frames this conversation. He brackets this conversation with the same warning. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, here's the weird thing about it. The Pharisees and Sadducees had basically nothing in common with each other. Now, without getting too into the nuance of Second Temple Judaism, it's sufficient to say from a 30,000-foot view, the Pharisees and Sadducees were the two kind of leading movements um, in our world. If you mixed in a ton of uh, religion, you could kind of say that the two kind of major political groups, right? The Pharisees were um, hyper-local. They were hyper-traditionalists. They, they, they loved the traditions and, and the rhythms and, and the stories that had led, and they, they wanted to preserve what had been, right? And then the Pharisees were um, more globally influenced. In, in their terminology, they would have said something like that they were Hellenized. They were influenced by Greek and Roman culture. They were affluent a lot of times and, and traveled all around the Roman Empire. They, they, they wanted to see the Jewish faith progress into a new century and into a new era and to new culture. Uh, in, our, in our politics, you know, we, we might consult them like the conservative party and the the liberal party, and, and, and they, they despised one another so much. I mean, they, they, they just basically chose to disagree just to disagree because they didn't want to give, they, they didn't want to agree on anything because it would give the other person the privilege of maybe being right, even if it meant that they agreed and they were both right. They would rather both be wrong, right? They, they everything, the, the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees believed in an afterlife, um, and then, the Sadducees didn't. It, old Bible college little memory thing. You can remember the Pharisees believed in an afterlife. The, the Sadducees didn't. That's why they were sad, you see. Right? So now you remember, okay? They, 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 they thought this was all that there was. They were diametrically opposed in every way you could imagine. To, to, to be in the same room and have a conversation with each other would have been a struggle, let alone agreeing with it. They were fully convinced that the other party simply just wanted to destroy Israel, wanted to destroy their faith, wanted to destroy their people, wanted to destroy their tradition, and destroy their culture. Does it sound familiar? Right? And then you weave in all this religious narrative and religious tradition. These were people who had almost nothing in common, and yet Jesus sees something in them that's the same, right? Uh, in fact, one translator translates a little differently. He, he translates it this way. Keep a sharp eye out for, and then look what he says, the Pharisee Sadducee yeast. Because for him, the translator understands that what Jesus um, and th- through Matthew is trying to tell us is that the thing that, that's toxic in the Pharisees is the same thing that's toxic in the Sadducees. And so the question is, is what is it? What is it? I think, I think that what it is, is arrogance. It's a form of pride that thinks that we're awarded, that we deserve because the energy, the effort, the discipline, the goodness we've put in, because we've never missed synagogue, we never miss a temple feast, we never miss the traditions and rituals, we always do exactly as required that we've somehow earned, literally, they would wear additional tassels and markings, and they, they've, they've earned their badges to walk around and say, look at, look at how churchy I am. Look how religious I am. Look at all that I have accomplished. 
and they walked with a swagger and an arrogance. It, it's kind of like, um, I started getting, um, they, they, walked with, sorry, they, they walked with swagger and arrogance that accentuated their strengths and hid their weaknesses. Accentuated all their accomplishments, but hid from the public eye their brokenness and their own failures. So, so I've, I, um, I've been getting these Facebook targeted ads. If you don't know this, um, social media is, um, this isn't a political statement, just social media is fake in general. Like it's curated for certain people to make money. And if you don't know that, just open a business and then try and run ads. Um, you, you, can, you can run an ad for just like seven people in one city and it'll show up over and over and over again. So I've been getting this targeted ad. I don't know what it says about um, me, but um, it, it's for this t-shirt. Let's, let's put a picture up of it. Um, I know this isn't a great picture, but it, it's called um, like true society or, or true, true classic t-shirts. That's what it's called. I went to their website because, you know, they run ads over and over and over again. And this is supposed to be the side-by-side -side comparison. That's what they do, right? You put a nice color picture and then you put them in black and white and they look sad. Oh, if you buy this shirt, you're going to be sad. And then you buy this shirt, you're going to be happy, right? That's, that's how ads work. And so I went to their website and this is, this is what their, their, their website says. You ready for it? It's not... I don't know why not's all capitalized. I guess they want me to yell it. It's not just a t-shirt. I don't know how they, if they know how the English language works because that doesn't make any sense. Anyways, it's not just a t-shirt. Our premium tees are designed to accentuate the arms and shoulders but leave room in the stomach area for all of us dad bods. Here's what I can guess. A lot of you haven't seen that ad, but for some reason, I'm getting that ad. <laughs> Here's what arrogance looks like. Arrogance looks like this. Arrogance looks like accentuating your strengths all the while trying to find a way to hide the toxic, unhealthy underbelly. Right? Dad bod. Dad bod Christianity tries to make a big deal of all the things you have done and all the things you've accomplished and maybe all of the boasting is actually even in how humble you are, which is an incredibly ironic thing, all the while hiding the incredibly unhealthy underneath. I mean, let's be honest. If, if you're married or in any meaningful relationship, most of the arguments that you have are gonna be you comparing your strengths your, your biceps, you know, that you never miss an arm day at the gym. Your biceps and your shoulders and your neck um, with, with their dad bod gut. It's going to be comparing your strengths with their weaknesses. And this is the arrogance that the Pharisees and Sadducees walked with. But Jesus, at one point, he says, he says, you tithe of the mint and the dill. Like in the most inconsequential parts of the law, you nail it but you miss the greater parts of the law. They walked around with a swagger and they knew, they knew, you know, don't you know, right? Right? When you, when you, like when you were a kid in school and you, you get the new clothes, you walk into school with your head a little higher, right? You get new shoes, you walk, and you make sure to stand so that your shoes kind of stand out a little bit further in front of you. If nobody mentions it, you kind of, you know, then maybe you put your feet up on the table I'm pretty flexible, aren't I? Right? Teacher's like, get your foot off the table. Right? Right? Whoops. <laughs> um, right? Is, is this, is, this is arrogance. 
This is the, the leaven of the Pharisees. This is the toxic nature of religion. Is when religion becomes a pathway to accentuate our goodness and hide our brokenness. So that we can walk with our chin a little higher and we can seek out the envious eyes of, oh, they, they, must, they must have it together. They must have gotten a pay raise. I mean, they're not sporting new kicks, but, but I mean, they, they must have gotten a, a nice, did you, did you see Did you see them parenting? Did you see it? I mean, they were killing it. Right, All the while, we're watching out of the corner of our eyes for people's awe in our impressive dad bods. Right? This, is, this is pride. It's arrogance. It's, it's accentuating our weaknesses all the while trying to hide or lie about the brokenness that sits underneath. Jesus later calls those, those same Pharisees and Sadducees, he calls them whitewashed tombs. Which is what he means is he says, on the outside, everything looks great. The shoulders, the arms, the neck, it all looks great. But underneath is a dead body. And this is what arrogance leads to. But there's another form of arrogance in this passage. Uh, look back at uh, verse 7. It may be a, a little less noticeable. Uh, but verse 7, it says this. They began to discuss this among themselves. Saying he said that because we didn't bring any bread. Jesus warns them about the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. <laughs> and then the disciples look at each other and go, oh, come on, man. Who, who was on lunch duty? Jesus is calling us out because we weren't prepared. Who's on lunch duty? But look at how Jesus responds to them. You men of little faith. Why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not understand nor remember the five loaves of the 5,000, how many baskets you picked up, nor the seven loaves, the 4,000, and how many large baskets you picked up? Look at this. Jesus is saying to him, listen, listen, we didn't feed the 5,000 or 4,000 because you guys were impressive and well-prepared to respond to a crisis in, in, in a logistical nightmare, and you executed so well that we were able to feed 5,000 men plus women and children. In fact, in fact, when it came time to feed the 5,000 people, where'd the bread come from? Not from you. You had nothing. Disciples, what, what, are you, what are you thinking? What are you talking about? Do we not have any bread? Do you know that sitting in front of you is the bread of life? If G Here's an important thing for us to remember. If Jesus ever needed bread, you know, he could make bread. He didn't need our bread. The, sitting in front of them is the one who spoke the sun into existence. Is the one who tells the oceans how far they can come. Who made the rain to fall on the crops. He didn't need our bread. If, he needed, if Jesus was hungry, he'd make his own bread. Right? Have you read the book of Exodus? For 40 years, manna, every morning, the best bread the world's ever seen. I still am committed to, and I will go to my grave, committed to this theological position, that manna is the same as Krispy Kreme. But the, every morning, miraculously rain down from heaven. God doesn't need their bread. God doesn't need your bread. God, God doesn't need you to do him a favor. I mean, Paul says, uh, I mean, it says in Acts, it says, it says um, what, is, what is God? That he needs anything from us. He doesn't need anything. See, the lie of the uh, disciples, the pride of the disciples, 
that I think is so much more pervasive and destructive in our own souls is the lie of self-sufficiency. They believed that the reason that they had lunch to eat that day was because they'd worked hard, they'd planned ahead, and they were prepared. And Jesus says, you missed it. You've missed it all. When the, when, the, when the hungry crowds were in front of me, it wasn't your bread that you fed them with. You, you didn't even have an offering to bring to me. You stole from a little kid and you brought his lunch. Then I fed the 5,000. And then I multiplied that and multiplied that and multiplied that. And you had 12 baskets left over. And you ate leftovers for weeks. And then when it came to the 4,000, where did you, you, you gave me seven loaves and a few fish. Let me ask you, where did the seven loaves and a few fish come from? From the leftovers, from the multiplication of the 5,000, from the bread that you didn't give me. The lie of self-sufficiency. It's, it's, it's the lie that Adam and Eve believed when they took that fruit. It's the lie that says, oh, I can, I can do this. I can handle this. Uh, you know, it's, it's been tough and it's been a hard season, but I put my nose to the grindstone and I can push through. <laughs> Isaiah says it this way. Isaiah 2 says this. Take an account of man, right? Th- just, just think about the whole nature of what it is to be a person whose breath of life is in his nostrils. Here's what he's saying, right? Um, Apart from even God breathing life into you, you're just dust of the earth. What 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 do you have that you could offer? Well, you know, I worked really hard and I disciplined myself. No, no, scripture says that God formed you in his, in, in your mother's womb, that he knit you together that he gave you that. You don't have anything to bring. Jesus is going to the disciples going, wait, you're not going to feed me like I need something. You're not going to get bread together like I need it. You know what you are? Church, you know what you are? You know what I am? We're just pack mules. We're just pack mules who God has heaped his unamazing kindness, unearned generosity, grace, peace, goodness. He's heaped it onto us just like he did the disciples. He just kept breaking the bread in the hand of the disciples, breaking the bread in the hand of the disciples, breaking the bread in the hand of the disciples till they were overwhelmed with bread. He's heaped it onto us so that we'd be pack mules to dispense his grace and his mercy. You don't have anything to bring to him. And in fact, the writer, of, the writer in uh, Romans Paul writes in Romans, he he says this, he says, this is all we have to offer. As we present our bodies, we present ourselves. We present all of who we are as living and holy sacrifices, which is your spiritual service of worship. Uh, One one person said that, um, that, uh, that pride is like bad breath. You're the only one who can, can't tell you have it, right? But, but if, if we begin to recognize and understand that we have a pride of arrogance, we have a pride of self-sufficiency, that I've earned it, that I deserve it, that I get it. And, and here's the thing, pride doesn't have anything to do with your, with your stature. Pride doesn't have anything to do with posture. 
uh, position. Pride, isn't, pride doesn't just come from people with high noses who stand tall. Pride can be as um, prevalent and maybe more aggressive in people who are self-effacing. And, and you, you can be prideful and be a bully. And you can be prideful and be a doormat. Pride isn't about position. Uh, in fact, um, humility, the opposite of humility isn't pride. The opposite of humility is arrogance, which is a form of pride. But you can seek to be humble. You can discipline yourself to be humble. You can pursue being humble and be proud that you're humble, which is just such a weird thing, but you see it all the time. The opposite of pride, you see, because pride is about focus. Pride comes from where our eyes are affixed. The disciples are standing on the beach and Jesus says to them, he says, you know, don't, don't have the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they start looking through the boats and they start looking through the baskets. They start looking through the seashores going, where's more bread? Did somebody bring bread? Somebody brought bread. All the while the bread of life stands on the seashore in front of them. See, pride is an idolatry where our focus and our eyes turn away from the one who is good, who made the sun to shine and the rain to fall, who put breath in your nostrils onto ourselves. So what do we do? What do we do when we begin to see, when we begin to sense, when maybe somebody's gracious enough to speak to us in love and kindness and expose to us places that we see pride and arrogance in us I would contend to you that it's the invitation of this book. We worship. You see, diligence and discipline and pursuit and effort will never root out pride in your soul. The longer you try and be less prideful, you'll just become more prideful that you're less prideful. But worship when we change our focus, when we turn our eyes away from the things of this world, from our own selves, from our own needs, when we turn our eyes away from the things that call our attention and we turn our eyes and fix our eyes on the one who gave us life, the bread of life, who stands on the seashore with the disciples. When we worship, God does a miraculous reshaping and reforming of our heart, not because of your good effort or your diligence or because of how Christian you are or because of how disciplined you are, but because he is good and he is gracious. A lot of times towards the end of the sermon and this kind of part of the sermon, I'd ask you this question. I'd, I'd say something like, uh, uh, so, so what's it in you? Right, like, like where's God working? Where's God calling you to? What's God asking you to do? What, what's it for you? And to be honest, I don't think that that would be helpful in this kind of conversation. Because if by some miraculous self-awareness you were able to identify in your own self the places that you're more prideful, again, you'd just be prideful that you identified the places that you're prideful. And as you try to be more humble, you'd be prideful that you were humble. But maybe the request, the invitation that Jesus is offering, it actually comes right after the story. The invitation to each one of us is to worship, is to fix our eyes on the one who gives us life, to fix our eyes on him, on his goodness, on his graciousness, to remember that in all things, he has been kind and good, and that he has invited us to be pack mules, to, to dispense his grace and his mercy into a broken world, and that all we have to bring to him is ourself. So the only question really for us today 
is not are you prideful, because every single one of us, myself included, are prideful in different ways. Not is your heart drawn away, because every one of us is drawn away. Not is there brokenness in you? Is there a dad bod t-shirt that you're trying to hide something underneath? Because every single one of us is trying to hide something underneath. But the question today is, is he worthy? Is he worthy of everything? If he is, then let's worship together. And in our worship, he will do a redeeming thing in our heart because he is good and he is kind and he is gracious.